we ask questions about how many people identify as Latinx in your company. Do you have DNI goals? What do those look like? Do you partner with ICE? And if you have an active contract with ICE, we can't partner with you. It's going against our values. It's an organization that has impacted even volunteers for Piqueria in the past. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. So today my guest is Frances Coronel. She is a technology director and board advisor to Tecaria, where she supervises and manages technology platforms and advises the board of directors on strategic decisions. Tecaria is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers Latinx professionals with the resources and support that they need to thrive and become leaders in the tech industry. But Francis has also helped Tecaria become the largest global community of Latinx professionals in tech with over 15,000 members and allies and seven active city chapters. Overseeing a staff of five, Mrs. Coronel helped more than triple the numbers of active members of Tecaria's online community from 3,000 to 10,000 in less than two years. That's amazing. So Mrs. Coronel has worked in technology since 2015 and entered in the nonprofit space just before COVID in 2019 when she joined Tecaria's leadership team. And now she works with the diversity and inclusion leaders in tech companies across the U.S. to create and promote opportunities for Latinx professionals and level up their career. Mrs. Coronel earned a master's degree in computer science from Cornell Tech and a bachelor's degree in computer science from Hampton University. Francis is a sought-out speaker on equity in tech and has given over 70 talks since 2012 with engagements at Stanford, Osana, Unidos US, Smash Academy, and Netflix. She has previously served as a board member for Coro Northern California, Code Nation's Bay Area Leadership Council, and as a member of the Latino Community Foundation Giving Circle for Latinos in Tech. And we want to congratulate Francis for 2021 for being selected in the Aspen Institute Leadership Cohort. Congratulations, Francis, and welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about Tecaria, which is a wonderful organization. And I heard about you over a year ago, the organization itself, but also the folks that had started it. I met some of your volunteers and through the events that you host with big tech companies. But I'm particularly excited to have you as the executive director now of Tecaria and its evolution that has come through based on all the membership or the volunteers that have come through because there is such a need for representation of Latinx, Latinas, Latinos in technology. So this is a wonderful convergence of you and other folks being a part of this organization. 
and really providing a pathway and a safe place to talk about diversity and inclusion or the challenges that we're having in the space. So I, I just want to introduce you in that way because I think the work that you're doing is powerful. And as a software engineer yourself, having a lot of experience in doing development work and being a software engineer, there's a huge need for that right now. And the other thing that I want to talk about is where you are today with the organization. And the last time I spoke, you guys were acquiring a status of nonprofit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess I can dive into a little bit of the history of, of Thickidia. So it started out as a meetup group in San Francisco. We grew to different cities from there. It was all very grassroots, very volunteer-led up until 2019, so March 2019, that's when we incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit. And we did that because it was starting to get to the point where we had a lot of people involved. There was money getting funneled in different places. And we just wanted to make sure everything we were doing was proper and also so that we could make a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. And the way we could do that is by having a formal status. So we went that route and I started my involvement with the organization just as we were getting incorporated. So I joined as a board member in March of 2019, and that was after I secured the first grant for Thickidia. It was through the Century Open Source Grant. I was working on the website. Nice. That's what I do full-time, awesome. uh, is work on websites. And so I worked on the Thickidia website, and they gave us 10K to continue to develop the website. So it was the first time we got really any kind of money. You know, at the beginning, it was zero in the bank at the time when we incorporated. And now we're at that point where we are growing our staff, we have a great board of directors. We just added two more folks to that. And our funding is just exponentially growing. Our, the number of members we have is exponentially growing. So we have over 14,000 contacts, seven active chapters, and over 11,000 actual members. So really just proud of how the organization has matured and evolved and just the explosive growth. It's been really interesting to just experience firsthand. Right. I think it's fantastic. But there's a reason why it has exploded over the last year, year and a half. So the exponential growth of the organization has been around a lot of this social justice and change and equity that has been happening through the news and social media. But now our voices are getting louder. So before... It was just a little bubble, but now it's a full-blown eruption. And I want to talk a little bit about that and the leadership of the organization. Because the last time we spoke, you had mentioned or had discussed with me uh, a little bit of big tech now coming to you for some information or guidance in recruitment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... It's really interesting because I think a lot of people don't realize just how many Latinos there are in the U.S. and just how influential we are, right? Like, I think about the 2020 election, you know, we are, we were the, we are and we were the largest non-white voting group. We are the largest non-white ethnicity in the United States. We're going to be one third of the population in this country by 2060. And this country in and of itself is going to be majority minority by 2040. But when it comes to the tech industry, we're not even in the double digits, right? And this whole movement that has come over the last year, which has been so needed when it comes to the black population and now more recently the Asian population, 
it has raised that question of like, what can we do? Can we do more? Right. And frankly, when it comes to the tech industry, there really aren't that many organizations that are focused on that intersection of Latinx and tech. You know, we're one of the few. I would say Latinas in Tech is another amazing organization that focuses on that intersection when it comes to like high tech. But I, I really don't know of that many more other than Tequeria and Latinas in Tech. SHIP is out there, but it focuses more on college level, where this is focused on those already in the tech industry professionals. And I think that the growth that we're experiencing, it's just a little bit of what we should be experiencing. I wish we had more Latinx representation in tech, and it's just, it doesn't show that yet. So right. I said earlier, we have 14,000 contacts in, in our database. It's a very small portion of like the, the overall population, right? So if we're looking at the tech industries, not even in the double digits for Latinx representation, but then in the overall country, it is in the double digits and a lot higher, right? So there's definitely like a misalignment there. The playing field is not leveled, it's not fair, and we're definitely not represented in the way that we should be for the amount of influence and representation that we have in the overall country. And I can talk more about how I think this is important in regards to specifically the tech industry, right? Because we could argue, like, why shouldn't there be more Latinx in the finance industry and medicine? Right. Why does it have to be more Latinx in tech? Why is that intersection so important? And I think COVID-19 has revealed to an extent how important that is because now every single person that we know is dependent on technology the technology created by a very a small subset of companies, really, because a lot of them are just ginormous, right? And they're paying their employees very well. It's a huge way of wealth generation. And that's really important for our population because we don't have that. You know, we came here with nothing. And so if you have that opportunity to break into the tech industry, it's in the U.S., which has the largest tech market in the world. That is skyrocketing you to like middle class or upper middle class almost not instantly, but like very quickly. And that's kind of what has been even my personal experience. Both of my parents came from poverty. They immigrated to this country from Peru when they were in their 20s. And they both instilled in my family, my siblings and I, that importance of education, right? So I took that to heart didn't end up studying what they wanted me to study. They really wanted me to become a doctor, but I really <laughs> like to play computer games. Right. And so I ended up studying computer science. And anyway, so I'm starting to rant a little, but the point is I can't emphasize enough how important I think that intersection is when it comes to Latinos and the tech industry and why we need more Latinos represented in tech. And I think ultimately that's what Tequeria is trying to help with. And it's a, it's a hard problem. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I have this saying that people know what to do. They just need to do it. And I'm speaking to tech industries out there. They know what to do. They're just not doing it because the representation numbers would be higher. It's such a systemic infrastructure that has resonated from now we can see all this racism and oppression. And people are like, oh, that's not true. Look at so-and-so, Jeff Bezos, and this and that, you know, he was a Latino. And I'm like, you know what? There are ways that everybody can make it in this country. That is the whole purpose of why people come to this country. It is built on immigration. It is built on ideas and people that contribute 
to this country with their ideas, their passion, their experience, their love for wanting to be free and to do these experiments with technology and to really solve a problem. And that's what really gets to me is that all that ideation and all that passion can just come through in tech and really serve bigger communities. Today, I was looking at a a stat, a unicorn, like here are the biggest unicorns that are coming out for 2021, you know, because I subscribe to this info global stats on VCs and see who's trending like for IPOs and who's coming out not to invest. I just want to see the number of companies that are coming out. And the most of the companies that are coming out are either e-commerce or they're in financial services, fintech, and very few are coming out in healthcare. So just circling back to what you said, you know, those three areas which are convergent towards our communities, which we support a lot of and do need those services, none of them, hardly any of them that I saw, and there were over 200, are by people of color. I think there was maybe two or three people You know, how do we hold technology companies accountable when they come to you and ask you, Tequeria, say, hey, we want to build a partnership with you because you have a lot of folks that we see as interesting candidates. What would it be to have that bridge or to build that bridge? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of companies reach out to us and... Generally, their purpose is to engage us with recruiting, you know, so they want to recruit more Latinx people at their company. What we tend to do is obviously first have a conversation, better understand whether are these goals just because they need to meet a quota? Is it because they truly care? Uh, And so we ask like, you know, questions about how many people identify as Latinx in your company? Do you have DNI goals? What do those look like? Do you partner with ICE? Um, we have a policy called No Tech for ICE within Tequeria that we've had for over a year now, maybe even two. And it essentially says if you have an active contract with ICE, we can't partner with you. It's going against our values. It's an organization that has impacted even volunteers for Tequeria in the past. We had a volunteer who ended up at a detention center in Arizona. His name is Carlos. And his, his story was widely published in the, in the media, but he still ended up spending, I believe, over a year in that detention center before he was released. Uh, and he was a volunteer for Tequeria on, on our Slack community, which is the online community we use to, to network and collaborate on stuff. And obviously, even outside of that, like it's impacted our families, right. r- relatives, people we know, etc. Right. So it's just like something where we just draw the line. And we have gotten pushback even from our own members for doing this. Wow. You know, mind you. But it is something that we are still committed to as of today. And it is something that we take into consideration when vetting partners. And so the argument that our members provide, you know, just to provide some context, because it's important to get both perspectives, I think, is, you know, the person who is trying to get a job, let's just help them get a job. It doesn't matter what the company stands for or who they partner with. It is important that our people get a job, even if it is at not the best company, right? 
And so I couldn't respect that argument, you know, because it's like at the end of the day, the numbers are not looking good for us at any company. And so anything that we can do to increase that, to better that number is a net positive. But at the same time, the other argument is we have to hold ourselves valuable. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And that means drawing the line at our values. And so as an organization, we do that. Of course, our members are welcome to apply to whatever company they want. This is just specifically when it comes to partnerships, like formal partnerships, where we accept money from that organization through a partnership, right? Right. So that's one way we vet. Obviously, we ask a lot of questions about diversity and inclusion, and we have, you know, different chats with them over at least a couple weeks. It takes us a while to, like, formally vet and then, you know, accept that partnership. And then something we've done... Uh, that started out recently that's really cool is that we've actually created a public channel within our online community. It's called Meta Partnerships Inquiry, and it essentially allows anybody in the organization to opt in and give feedback on a potential partner. So like, let's say, you know, there's a company called Acme B Corp. I had a terrible experience at Acme. I don't feel comfortable sharing that experience. I can even tell them, hey, I can DM you about this. I want to share my story here. Mm -hmm. And then that member can tell them, please don't partner with this company because this was a terrible experience. Or, you know, it can be positive. It can be like, I had a great experience with this company. Right. You should definitely partner with them. So it's basically member driven in that sense. Um, Ownership, of course, ultimately goes to our partnerships team, Mary and Kat. But we do allow our members to give feedback. We have that policy in place, and we make sure to ask them a lot of questions. So that's kind of how we try and hold the companies accountable uh, before we partner with them. But when it comes to forcing them to do something because of backlash, I think that's where organizations that are more political like Mi Gente really shine. Right. I love them. Yeah, Mi Gente is great. (laughs) I love their little uh, ant emoji for if you're a member. I think that's really cute. Anyway, so we actually were going to partner with them on an event, but then COVID happened. So like those plans didn't pan out, but we have looked up to them. They were inspiration when we were uh, starting to create our No Tech Fries policy back in the day, because they, I think, were the ones who really made that term very popular on social media, the No Tech for Ice hashtag. And they had so many like useful resources that could be shared and that we shared so organizations like that, or even coworker.org, those are amazing organizations that I think that's like their part of their mission, you know, is to hold these tech companies accountable. Right. And I would say like for Thicketia, that is not something we have the capacity for to like basically have a petition and everyone signing in be like, force, you know, XY company to do this because of this. That's just not something we do. We try to do it in different ways that I think are just more focused on recruiting and really like are going to benefit our members at the end of the day. Because that's like part of our mission is whatever we do should benefit our members who are Latinx professionals in tech, right? Right. So one of the questions I have, and I always think about this, is you are building the groundswell to change leadership within these organizations to say, hey, we need to have more women and men of color in leadership positions within these companies, which is very hard to get to. And you and I have talked about this because sometimes they can just hire them for all the wrong reasons instead of the right reasons. 
And until we get folks into leadership, that partnership is really challenging in some capacity because the directives and requirement specs for hiring or engaging a lot of folks comes from the leadership teams mostly. They have the budgets, they write the specs with the teams. So how do we work with the leadership teams or getting more people into leadership? Does Tecaria help in that capacity or is that something you're looking at or does that look like something that Tecaria is going to do for the organization or is it just the groundswell momentum? I think both. It's like a two-pronged approach, right? But that's me. What are your thoughts on that? So I think first defining leadership, right? When I think of leadership within the tech industry, I'm thinking like someone who has ownership over the salaries of others, right? So basically a manager or above. And right now, the average years of experience for any member at the Gidea for the data that we have is five years, five years of professional experience. So that means that most folks are mid to senior level. We don't collect data on whether they're like manager or above, like we have their title, but we don't have data on whether they're considered leaders within the industry. I would say with the Gidea, we're more focused on networking and having folks talk about, you know, compensation, workplace challenges. So essentially facilitating and hosting this community and the largest community of Latinx professionals in tech. So we do have a lot of people who identify as managers, but I wouldn't say that we have programming that like focuses on on them right now. And I think we're still young and we're still developing a lot of our programming, but I think that is something ultimately that we are going to want to do because part of our vision is creating more leaders within the tech industry who can enact that change themselves. But the vast majority of our members right now are like contributors, such as myself. You know, we're contributing, but we're not leading quite yet. And that's just a reality, I think, in the overall tech industry when it comes to people of color in general. And now we're going to take just a quick break. Thank you for joining us today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I am your host, Teresa Gonzalez. And if you'd like more information on podcasting, how to bring your vision and strategy onto technology platforms through podcasting and marketing, you can reach us at latinasb2b.marketing. Or you can sign up for our newsletter where it's informational that will give you tips and also information on how you can start your business or podcasting journey. Gracias. But when you say that there's no programs, there's, you know, on my previous podcast, we've had women that are in the C-suite and they talk about mentorship and it's really like a needle in a haystack when people either they find you to mentor you Or if you ask, a lot of people are afraid to ask. And that's what we talk about is they're afraid to ask, go out there for mentorship. I find myself challenged sometimes for that as well. But we need each other to share those experiences or how to navigate the space. And I think mentorship is a big opportunity for folks out there within their organizations to reach out for that. And I've seen it work very positively. And there's a lot of talk around that. Because that's how you get into the leadership positions where people are saying, hey, they're reaching out because sometimes they just don't know, which is I find really strange that they don't know how to do that. Like I said, people know what to do. They just don't do it. 
Yeah. And speaking about that, because I think ERGs and organizations are considered a part of that. And there's a lot of discussion around ERGs at this moment because it is extra work, it's extra time, there's no budgets, and there's things that, you know, people are being asked to do. And it's filling kind of a org requirement that this is happening under the umbrella of a big tech company. But at the same time, where are the pathways into leadership from there? Why are there no budgets created? Because those events and things of that nature, just like Dequeria, it takes time. It takes people putting in a lot of effort to give back. So what are your thoughts on the ERGs? And now that you're a nonprofit, you guys are obviously receiving grants and things of that nature. So how could you apply it to an ERG within a tech company or maybe could it work in that capacity? So with ERGs, we do have quite a few ERG leads within Tequeria and they do share a lot of resources and we have cafecitos for ERG leads. But I think speaking from my personal experience as an ERG lead, past companies and my current company, I think that you're totally on spot when it comes to sort of the standard for ERGs right now at tech companies is or really any company, because it's not just tech companies, but employee resource groups in general were created to kind of fill this need of like community essentially within the company to create a sense of belonging. And I think it's important to realize, like you said, that it is a lot of work and extra work that is not paid work and it's not helping you get a salary bump or a raise um, or even recognition. And so If you are going to have that kind of infrastructure, and you should have it even if you're a very small company onwards, there really should be some recognition and benefit in place. So I am a a proponent of paying ERG leads. I know some tech companies are doing that. I believe Twitter is doing that. And they actually call them BRGs. They call them business resource groups because they basically are saying this is actually instrumental to our business. It's a benefit to our business. They're making it very clear that this is a benefit for the company and that we should treat it as such and prioritize it as such, which I think is, you know, a positive thing. And they pay their ERG leads. They give them a lot of good recognition. They give a lot of support to their ERG leads. The Twitter accounts are very on point and have like hundreds of thousands of followers. So I think that's a good example of like a company that does it well. In terms of how we support ERG's leads at the Kedia, we actually are thinking of creating a course because t- typically what happens is, you know, we have new members, they're ERG leads, they're about to start an ERG, what have you, and it's kind of asking the same questions like, how should I do this? Do you have any like name recommendations? What do you recommend as the first steps to creating an ERG? How many people should I have with helping me? What should the structure look like? Should there be co-leads, treasurers, comms, drivers, all these little logistical things? And honestly, if you look up this online, you will not find a lot of resources on this. It's just not something that's very easy to look up. You know, like there's no existing ERG course or platform out there that is like widely known. And so I think that's kind of the issue right now is that there's a lot of people creating ERGs at their companies because they see that there's a need for it, but then they're not very well supported. And so that definitely is a problem that I think tech companies have to realize should be solved sooner rather than later. I know at Thick Idea we're trying to create like community-driven resources for that, 
But at the end of the day, if you're just allowing someone to create a Latinx year at your tech company, you don't give them any funding, you don't give them any recognition, they're not paid, and anything they do is not even being considered as part of the promotion cycle, I don't think that's a recipe for success. It's just a recipe for burnout for the employee. And if anything, they're going to just feel used at the end of the day, I think. Yeah. And and the fact that companies are doing that, I mean, they have to take a step back. It's just really interesting to me when they say we don't have a budget for that. And yet, you know, some of their stock prices through the roof and managers are being paid such high equity and they have a whole team of contract workers. And it's just craziness to me. I, I mean, it's really beyond acceptable in my mind that they don't let them have a pathway to promotion everything you said, plus give them a budget to host and have speakers come work with them. It's nuts. But I'm glad that you're thinking of that. And again, this here comes the groundswell, which I think is a movement you're creating with Decaria. And I'm very excited, you know, about all this. I just want to talk about a little bit, you know, your journey. And I know that you said that your parents came here from Peru. You know, they wanted you to be a doctor, which, you know, if we circle back, it's like we don't have enough people in the space. But I want to talk about what was the pivot point for you? So I think that moment when I pivoted is when I realized that I was just not interested in medicine for the right reasons. And, you know, from the beginning, my parents, like I said, it was like, get a PhD, get a PhD, uh, become Dr. Cornell. They were both very into education. So growing up, I looked into those options and really like the, the ones that they knew about were doctor, lawyer, teacher, I was initially interested in being a vet, so I started getting into that like medicine path, right? Because I really loved animals, and I still love animals, but definitely not at the you know level of being a vet. <laughs> so I, I got into uh, this medical program, this specialty program at my high school. They were very proud of me, and I like from the beginning, I've, I'm like very, I'm a daddy's girl. I want to always make my dad happy, my mom happy. It was very important to me that I made my parents proud because I knew and I could see firsthand how hard they work their asses off. And I saw that firsthand. They would come home late. My mom, you know, would be working her full-time job and taking care of three kids. You know, I think unlike a lot of teenagers at the time when I was experiencing this, I had a really good relationship with my parents. It was all positive, I felt. I had a good, happy childhood for the most part. And so I always wanted to make them proud. And it came to my realization my uh, junior year of high school I realized, like, I'm really not interested in pursuing a degree in biology and then studying, like, however many years of medical school and residency and and so on. I just don't have the patience for it. And that solidified even further when I went on a medical mission through this nonprofit called Operation Smile. And I really enjoyed the work I did for them as a volunteer, and they gave me the opportunity to go to Vietnam. Uh, to see the surgeries for the cleft lip and cleft palate. And so at that point, I was still like very set on getting into medicine. It's like, yes, I'm going to do that. And I looked at the surgery and I actually passed out in front of everybody. And it was such a big deal. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you, but that's when you realize. <laughs> that's when I realized like, 
is this really for me? You know, and I actually didn't enjoy like the medical parts of that experience. And so I started just to realize, okay, what's the other thing that I've been interested in, you know, for a while. And the only other thing I was interested in since a kid was computer games, like being on the computer. My dad was a a college professor. He taught MBA students and he had these like really big CDs that he'd just pop into this huge big computer that we had and we would and it was to teach me STEM it was to teach me math and science and I think this is relevant because I I read a study about women of color in computing and they said that a lot of them had good father figures that they looked up to when growing up and I think part of maybe my journey is influenced a little bit by my dad because he was the one who exposed me to STEM he's the one who exposed me to computers My mom has always been a Spanish teacher or a nurse, uh, so that wasn't something she ever felt comfortable with, and that was totally fine because my dad was the one who could help me, like, be supported in that. But definitely to your point, like, I really didn't see a lot of Latinas when I was starting to study, and it was very isolating, that experience. But I would say ultimately to answer your question, like, that pivot came when I realized I was going into medicine for the wrong reason. And I wanted to pursue something that I was legitimately passionate about. And it was not even on my radar, by the way. Like, computers? Is that something you can do? Like, work? You can make games? Oh my gosh. Like, I didn't know anything about that. But I started uh, taking free online courses in my senior year of high school. And then that's when I did a pivot 180. And I was like, okay, I'm going to study computer science instead of biology. And all the colleges rejected me because I had absolutely no computer science experience. I got into two schools at the last minute and I chose the one that was farthest away because I I lived in the same place my whole life. So I wanted to like escape. And so that's when I started studying and it just kind of that's where it started. I just started studying computer science and it was very difficult. The coursework is very difficult, but it did help, I think, to go to an HBCU, a historically black college or university, because ultimately I found like the experience of being surrounded by other people of color is not the standard experience in the tech industry. L- loneliness breeds isolation and isolation breeds insecurity, right? So that's why I think imposter syndrome is really high among women of color in the tech industry and that lack of confidence is high because they don't see anyone else, really. Not a lot of people thriving in this industry or even entering the field. So when I found Thakedia back in 2017, I was first starting, that was like about a year or two into my career. I found people willing to elevate each other. I found people who look like me. And because of the support I got from the community, I felt compelled to pay it forward. And so I think if I had to give any advice for people wanting to break in or feeling doubt, there are so many people like you who are going through this and you only need to seek them out and and you're going to find that there's a lot out there that you can benefit from and that you don't need to feel like you're the only person. Right. I think that's amazing. And and there's a lot of women out there too who may not have that father figure Or on both sides, you could say that you were influenced by science and math and all these things from your parents. But a lot of folks that are struggling to even, like, where do I start? How do I get involved? I know everybody's on the internet. They are on social media like crazy. And they're playing games on Twitch or, you know, they're in these certain rooms where they can learn things. 
The one thing you want to be able to do is to understand how your passion is going for that in learning. And there are ways to find lots of free resources like you did. There's even more now than when you and I both went. But I was always very into creativity and music. Music is, people don't realize that if you have, if you can read music or you play music, anything in the arts is is so much of a attribute to technology. And I want people to understand that because sometimes you think, oh, I'm just an artist or I like to paint or I don't know, I like to do this. But that's something that people are also looking at for technology, right? You know, I hate it when folks say, I'm not good in math. It's like, where did you get that from? Do you know that people of color, that they started math? Like, we are the inventors of mathematics. It's been there for a long time. And it's just there. You just got to, you got to dig deep into it and, and see what you like. And and sometimes this may not be your path. I'm looking for for peace in this industry as well, because there's so much toxic discussions and the way it's oppressing people and how we're not showing up. There's a big sea change coming in that arena as well. And I think wellness and health is going to really attribute to that. We need more folks in that space. So I, I'm all for it. And I, I love Thakadiyah. I love what you're doing. And I want to know how we can support you and the organization more. Like, what is it that we can do? How can we help you? Yeah, so I think pay it forward. And I think the when I first joined uh, about a year, I was just kind of a passive member. So I'd kind of comment on stuff. But then about a year in, I started wanting to get a new job. I was pretty unhappy in my role. And I was reaching out to different members and they all offered to have a conversation with me. And I felt a lot more confident getting into my interviews. And so after that happened, after I got the job, I was like, well, you know what? I should pay it forward. I should be the person that says yes to when people reach out and they want to have a conversation about like, hey, I would love to you know, apply to this position. Can you give me advice at your company, et cetera, right? So if you want to help the Gidea become a member, become an ally, provide resources, pay it forward to the community, there are like, I think, more than five people who have posted wanting help on their resume, for example, uh, within like the last couple of days in that in that channel. So as a member or an ally, you can give feedback or you can offer those resources for resume feedback. That's a very tangible way to give back. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers as well. We're growing our staff team at this point now, too, as we enter like this next chapter of the organization, uh, two years after we've incorporated. So I think, yeah, those are the primary, I, I would say, options. Obviously, a donation is great, too. But I think the m- best way is to just pay it forward and provide resources and support to the folks who really need it uh, within our community. And so how can they reach out to you or the organization? Yeah, thekeria.org. That's right. We have a lot of different contact options on our website. But if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm very open to that. My email is francis at thekidia.org. Feel free to email me and I'll point you in the right direction too. It's also really easy to get in touch with anybody in leadership if you join the online community, which you can do by becoming a member. And that's totally free right now. And that's also through the website. And events 
any big events coming up soon? Yeah, yeah. All of the above. We have a newsletter. We have an event email subscription as well. So if you go to thegedia.org, you can eventually get to events at thegedia.org. And we have a bunch of different events. I actually want to talk a little bit about one that just wrapped up. It was called Salvadoristas, and it was a group of Salvadorian Americans just talking about their experience in tech. And I thought that was really great. We have like Dominican breakfasts. We have a lot of different cafecitos on cybersecurity, on products, and those are continuous. So they're like kind of happening every month or every two weeks or what have you. And then we have a town hall every month. So that's the opportunity to, you know, meet firsthand the leadership of Tequeria, like staff or board, just ask questions or provide feedback directly from the community. So we have that every month for an hour. But yeah, we definitely, at the end of the day, like we always have a lot of different events uh, being offered and you're welcome to join them. They're open to both members and allies. Wonderful. That's just amazing. I love everything that you're doing, giving Latinos, Latinx, Latinas, all of us BIPOC in the space to come forward and to be a part of this growing community and how we have to show up in tech and be a force to change the future for all of us and to keep us safe. That's one thing I, I really am very passionate about because tech is getting a little funky out there, even more so, and we need to be awake in that arena. And there's more to come on that as well in my podcast. So thank you so much, Francis, for your time today. I loved everything you said, and I will definitely be a, a member and show up for some of the events and do whatever I can to help you elevate Decaria to the next level. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a great experience. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. So thank you, Francis, for joining us today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. If you'd like more information about Francis, you can go to her personal website at francisboronel.com. And also, please subscribe and be a member to Tecaria. And please give to the donation aspect to help support Latinos in tech at Tecaria, that's T-E. C-H-Q-U-E-R-I-A dot org. Today's podcast was engineered by Robert Lopez of Mixed by Crates. If you'd like more information about podcasting, please reach out to us at latinasb2b.marketing. This podcast was co-produced by Robert Lopez and Teresa Gonzalez of Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Gracias.